welcome to this morning's Sunday morning message. Uh, pray that you've had a good week. I pray that the week um, you've been continuing to uh, walk with the Lord and trust the Lord. And I pray that you're at peace uh, with in your with your walk with with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, if you're here for the first time as well this morning, uh, you've been invited to our morning service on Zoom. Uh, again, a big welcome to you, and please stay connected. If you've got questions, always happy to to be uh, uh, to be contacted and to answer any questions that you that you might have. Uh, beautiful songs that we've sung this morning, and I thank God for the songs this morning that uh, we've sung because uh, they they really do lead well into the message this morning. And um, and thank God for that. You know, one of the songs we sang uh, was the words went free at last, free at last. All my chains are in the past, you know. Uh, that's a that's a pretty brave, it's a pretty brave song to sing, isn't it? Free at last. Wow, look at that. And all my chains, all my chains are in the past. It's a pretty brave song to think that we can sing this song and and the Christian is able to uh, sing uh, confidently this uh, this song, this idea that that the Lord Jesus Christ has come and what He's done is actually set us free and this freedom means that the chains that used to bind, the chains that used to inflict uh, are, are gone in the past. And I pray this morning that you are you're encouraged to, to think about this and what it means when the Lord Jesus Christ came to do this for us and what it means that our lives are being um, set free by, by him. Thank God that uh, each week we come together, each week, whether it's Sundays or Thursdays or Wednesdays or other times in prayer, Thank God we still come together to be able to have fellowship together uh, and, and to look at his word and, and to listen to God's voice and to be able to be encouraged in the things that God, God has for us. And I understand when I look around the things and I think about the things that are happening around in the world today, and someone, if someone says to me, you know what, look at, look at what's going on in the world today, look what's going on in our governments today, look what's happening in, in, in this life that we live in today, and they say to me, Jesus is coming, wow, <laughs> I say, I agree. I agree. You look at all the things around you today and, and, and they are definitely, if you look at these things, you can think to yourself, well, if the Lord came today, it'd be no surprise. If the Lord Jesus Christ came today, I wouldn't be surprised. And definitely these things are, are, are things that can highlight and reinforce this message that is true and this message that has been preached for, for a long time, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming. And I think that we need to take this seriously and never, ever forget the fact that we don't live in a place that is happening in isolation of God's plan. We're not living in, in, in a life that is separate somehow to the, the plan of God and the timeline of God. And again, like I've said to you before, I don't, I don't, it doesn't bother me what theological timeline you have in the return of Christ. The truth is he's coming. And, yes, look around you and see. It definitely uh, it definitely smells and highlights the fact that Jesus is coming. So we've got to be ready. We've got to be ready and we've got to be able to stand uh, in the things in the things of the Lord. Remember the Romans passage, and I'll read it out to you. Uh, we're not, this is just the, uh, it's not the passage you're going to read, but I want to read this Romans passage out to you uh, before we pray. Love, love does no harm to a neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilment of the law. And do this knowing the time that now is it is high time to awake out of sleep. Remember that passage? For now our salvation is nearer 
than when we first believed. And Paul's logic is very simple. You know, when we came to the Lord until now, the salvation of the Lord, the coming of the Lord is happening, getting closer, closer, closer and closer. But what's interesting is the context. He says, now do this and do this, knowing the time. And he's actually making a connection between our love for each other and the coming of the Lord. And it's almost like he's saying it's coming very soon. Keep loving each other. Loves the fulfilment of the law. And as the time gets closer to the end, guess what? You're going to be more tempted not to do. Guess guess what? The temptation of fading away is going to creep into your hearts, and that is to stop loving each other. And so this is, Paul is saying, in light of the fact that our salvation draws near, let your love for one another keep going, be maintained. Beautiful. Beautiful. And I know that's the heart of many people. And I know the church continues to strive in this way so that the church itself continue to be uh, faithful in all that it does. I don't know if you've ever played this game before, but you might have played this game where um, uh, it's like a thinking game. And, it's you know, the idea is that you're, you're out in the sea um, and you're, there's four people in the boat and you've got three life jackets. You know, and the, and the idea of the game is, you know, everyone's um, uh, given a certain role or, or profession and, and, and the idea of the game is you need to sort of negotiate with each other who is the three person who should have the life jacket and one has to die out in the leaking boat. Who's going to be the one that has to die and which is the three that are able to survive because they're of more value and more worth. And it's a game. It's a game of discussion and debate and that sort of thing. And, and the idea you need to try and prove that your life is more worthy to have one of the jackets to get back onto the shore uh, because the world needs you, whatever, whatever, whatever the reasoning is. Brothers and sisters, as, as much as that game is fun, that's not the church. The church does not say, oh, which one can we spare? The church doesn't say, which one don't we need? Which one, it's, it, who, for, who, to which person is it okay if we lose? Not at all. As a church, brothers and sisters, we do everything we do to save all. We do everything that we do to not lose one. Remember Jesus? He says in his prayer, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. This is Jesus praying to his father. Because while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, he said to the father. And none of them is lost except for the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. And, of course, that's Judas. He says, I've lost none of them because that's the heart of Jesus as the father gives His heart is to keep them all. And we as a fellowship have the same heart as the Lord Jesus Christ, as the Father has provided and as the Father has has given. We do everything we do as a fellowship to make sure that none is lost. And we may not always be perfect in this, but we trust the Father and we do everything we do that this may be the case. Let's pray this morning. Let's pray and let's ask the Lord to uh, uh, bless his word as we read and and be fed and be fed from him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you, my Lord. I thank you for this morning and I thank you for uh, your love for us and I thank you for your truth 
for your truth, Lord God, is what sets us free. Lord, with Jesus, we pray this morning that as we study your word, as we look into your word, that your Holy Spirit may continue to enlighten us and help us and guide us. We need you, Father, particularly over the next uh, few weeks and months. We pray that you continue to help us to work through all the things that we have to do, that our love for each other would abound and our love for you would abound, uh, that we may continue to strive for the unity of the faith, and Lord, and being prepared for the coming of the Lord. We thank you, Lord God, and we pray your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I, I would like to, uh, if if the Lord wills, over the next few weeks and see how how things how things go, I'd like to share with you some thoughts and biblical thoughts on the idea of or the topic of holiness, the idea that God or well, the Bible talks about when it talks about when when we refer to a biblical holiness or what the Bible refers to when it talks to the holy man or the holy woman, and this is an important thing because as a church. Um, it's one of those topics that I think we need to continually be reviewing and uh, understanding and, and, and looking into because it's not something that we can try to leave on the side and think to ourselves, oh, it's, you know, um, it's, it's kind of one of those things that are optional in the Christian life because it's not. The idea of being holy before the Lord is not an option. You don't, you don't do that like you decide you want to you want to work here or work there or travel here or travel there as if like you have this choice around whether you are going to be holy or not. There is there is a, a, a biblical mandate, an expectation of the Lord. He, it's the message, the heart, the centre of everything we see in Scripture, the calling of God from a sinner to a saint, the person who comes to the Lord Jesus Christ and finds themselves restored by the power of God because they are becoming more like Jesus. They are being transformed into this holiness. But what happens a lot of the times is that it often it can be misunderstood by many Christians misunderstood about what it is, what it looks like, how to get there, what it takes, what is required of you. And this idea is, is often misunderstood and, and sometimes it's understood and, and sometimes you feel it's both. But God is calling us to this very special relationship with him. God is calling us to an intimate relationship with him and in that there is a call to be holy. What does the Bible say in First Peter? Um, but he who has called you is holy you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Very straightforward, isn't it? First Peter uh, chapter 5, very straightforward. What the, what the apostle is saying here, the one who called you is like this and how he's asking you to be the same. But you can only imagine the amount of conversations and the amount of discussions that have taken place about what it actually what it actually is and what it's not and how to actually get there. Because this is where this is where it gets uh, interesting. And this is where people start to discuss things, and this is where a lot of the misunderstanding happens. Because people strive for something in a way that they weren't designed to strive in this way. People aim for something that it's not even that. And so for us to be able to know what it is that if God is not, if this is God is giving us an option, God is expecting this from us, that this is something that the Lord has asked must happen because he is like this, then, then we want to be able to understand it. We want to be able to comprehend it. And the Lord Jesus Christ, and the word of God rather, has given us so many things to be able to understand this well. But let me 
remind us to be very, very careful of something. We don't want to become so overconfident. We don't want to become perhaps so arrogant, maybe even proud, that we begin to think to ourselves that somehow this is something within our capability to do. And we don't forget that in the background, if you like, or not just in the background, very uh, very central to what's going on is the Lord working, is the Lord at work. And without that, we would miserably fail, miserably fail any attempt to be like Christ, any attempt to be like God the Father who from, from eternity has existed and has called us into his care and into his kingdom. That at the centre of all that's going on, God is at work. And because God is at work, God is moving. And because he's moving, it makes it possible for us. Remember um, remember uh, when uh, Jesus was speaking to Peter, he says something quite significant to, Je- to Peter. And this is kind of highlights the point I'm trying to make here. He says, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan, listen, he says to Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you. Do you understand that? He says, you know, Peter, I'll tell you something. I'll give you some inside information. Satan, he's asking for you. He says that that he may sift you as wheat. He wants to do something to your life. He wants to somehow destroy you. He's after you. And look what Jesus says to him. But I have prayed for you. It's remarkable. But I've prayed for you, Peter. That your faith should not fail. He says, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. This is a beautiful verse and it's a very humble reminder to me and hopefully to all of you that in all our uh, belief and attempts to become like the Lord Jesus Christ and to pursue him and to be found in his will and in all these things that we must remember and never become overconfident or arrogant to think that somehow we can do it on our own. And the Lord Jesus Christ said to Peter, Peter, Satan's after you, but I've prayed for you because you need me, Peter. You need me because without this you'd be lost and most miserable. But I've prayed for you so when you return, strengthen your birth. Another principle like this is, is, is interesting as well. Now, and though the timing of it may be, may, people may argue is different, the principle is still the same. In Matthew 24 when Jesus says, for there will be great tribulation such as not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time. And Jesus speaks of the great tribulation here. No, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, listen, there's going to be a great tribulation. And he goes, unless the days were shortened, he says, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. The the implication is that God is going to shorten the days so that the elect may be saved. Now, the principle I'm trying to draw out here is this, that God knows, that God knows all of humanity and God knows all of the the humanness of how we exist. And even in this time, he says, I'm going to shorten so that some may be saved. Without God, brothers and sisters, without him working at the centre of everything he has called us to do, we would fail. So so when we think about the call to holiness and naturally you start to think to yourself, um, oh, my goodness, I'm never going to be able to do this, then you are right. You are right. 
And, and, it, and it is this that you begin to wrestle with because it is this that God begins to reveal the great mercy, grace, power, strength that comes to make it all possible. So we don't throw up our hands in the air and say, I can't, and that's it, and all of a sudden form alternative doctrines to explain or excuse or justify our, our sin but rather we, we bring ourselves back to the word of God and find liberty, freedom, and joy. Another song we sang this morning, no longer lost, no longer lost, now rescued, unchained. Beautiful song, isn't it? No longer lost, now rescued and unchained. In other words, um, uh, set free. Set free. And sometimes I get concerned, brothers and sisters, because I think sometimes what Christians think, what people think when they become Christians, is they, they think that they have a level of freedom, but really they are still bound. They have a level of freedom, but yet they are still trapped. It's almost like this. Someone who has been, uh, someone who's been sent to prison and they are in a high security facility. And then after a period of time, they are sent to a low security facility. And in that experience, they might experience a bit more freedom and they might experience a little bit more, it seems, it seems nicer in some respects. But yet at the same time, they know, they know they are still bound. They are still bound by these prison walls. And I think sometimes that the people come to the Christian faith and what they experience is a little bit more freedom, a little bit more joy, a little bit more happiness, a little bit more friendships, and they realise, oh, this is good, this is nice, but at the end of the day they are still bound when it comes to the crunch, when it actually hit, uh, when the rubber hits the road, they can't stop sinning. And so their freedom, though it's, though it's temporarily or, or, or in a different way experienced, they are still in bondage until I come to the beautiful, liberating understanding of the scriptures and they experience what the Lord Jesus Christ came, did, said, died for, rose again for. And Jesus has this really powerful, intriguing dialogue with the religious leaders in John 8. And I want us to turn to this in John chapter 8, and we'll start from verse 31. We're going to read five verses, five or six verses of John chapter 8 from verse 31. And Jesus has a very fascinating conversation with them because um, he's trying to communicate to them a spiritual truth and they're kind of not getting it because they're trying to think, they're thinking about other things because they've kind of formed their own idea of what freedom is. And, and I think this is a, a, a really timely and interesting passage that explains the world we live in today, an understanding of what, what is required and what people think. And I pray that you're encouraged this morning, brothers and sisters. I pray this morning that you are reminded and you are encouraged as I try and set a bit of a background or a backdrop to this study on holiness, if, if the Lord wills, by just talking a little bit about the freedom we have in Christ. And if this can provide a little bit of a background for you that will help us launch into some other things next week, then I pray that you're encouraged by this. In John chapter 8, verse 31, 
The Bible says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants. Yeah, that's their thinking. We're Abraham's descendants. And we and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Full stop, if you like. Here it is that the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking to them and they're wrestling with it and he wants to communicate to them. And I and I suspect he does, he's doing this because he, he is compassionate for them. I suspect he's doing this because perhaps he, he's seeing the, either the hardness of their heart or their, their, their frailty and understanding and he wants to try and communicate to them something that is far deeper than perhaps they've ever understood. And he wants to um, uh, 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 give them the, the hope of what he came to do and that's to set them free. Have you ever felt trapped? Do you feel trapped at the moment? Are you trapped in a circumstance of some kind? That feeling of feeling trapped is not a nice feeling. That feeling of feeling like you can't get out of something or you can't stop something is not a nice feeling at all. It's quite debilitating. It's, it's quite painful to feel trapped. It's like those mazes that some of you might have done, perhaps not as maybe not as popular as much today, but those mazes that you go and you're meant to walk through that might be made out of hedges and so forth, and, and then you get into this maze and all of a sudden you think to yourself, how do I even get out of this? And then you might be stuck in there unless someone comes along and leads you out of this maze. And that feeling of feeling trapped inside, just honestly don't know which way to turn. I go this way, I hit a brick road. I go a, a, a brick wall. I go this way, I hit a dead end. I go this way, it doesn't work. I go this way, I get resistance. Whatever it is, there's this sense of feeling like everything around you seems blocked. That feeling, that feeling when you experience it and the depth of that feeling is not, it is a horrible feeling. And the Lord Jesus Christ understood this. But what he wants to encourage them here is to understand that what he's first and foremost wanting to do is, is a freedom from their condition more than their circumstances. When you read the scriptures, you get a stronger sense that what God has come to do is to free you, not so much from your circumstances, though that can happen. And by the mercy of God, that does happen. But first and foremost, by your condition. The very thing that allows you to survive in those circumstances and sometimes the very thing that prevents you from getting into those circumstances. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is very clear with what he wants to achieve here. He's, he's wanting them to understand and to listen. And, to, and listen to what he says in the very first thing in verse 31. The, 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 the first part of verse 31, it says, Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, <laughs> that is that is good. He's speaking to those who chose to believe. He's speaking to those who dared to believe. And he's saying to those who believed, I want to tell you something now. 
And if you dare to believe this morning, if you dare, if you have dared enough to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then open your heart and open your ears and listen to what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying. He didn't turn around and speak to the unbeliever. He didn't turn around and speak to the hard-hearted and say, to them, come here, I want to tell you something about freedom. He spoke to those who dared to believe, to dare to put their trust or to say what this man is saying, there's something good and true about what this man is saying. And he's saying, okay, now come closer. I want to tell you something very significant. I want to tell you something so very meaningful. Do not take this as a joke. Do not take this as something simple. Do not take this as something that you can create your own terms about. Come in, lean in. I want to talk to you about something that you cannot choose or have an option to choose. It is what God is calling you to, and that is to be holy. And so your life today must reflect this. If you dare to believe, then you dare to be holy. If you choose to believe, then you choose to be holy. If you choose to be holy, then you choose to stop making excuses that stop you from getting there. That's the call of the Christian. And it is a liberating call. It is a beautiful call. And how beautiful and pleasant when the Christians come together in unity in this and are able to sharpen one another and encourage one another and understand each other and not judge one another but help one another to come to this place, the unity of the faith, to the likeness of the Son of God who is the head. How beautiful is that? And so he, he says to them, if you feel like, to those who dare to believe in the second part of verse 31, he says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. This is the distinction he's saying. Then can I tell you what the distinction is between those who are my disciples and those who are not? Those who choose to abide in, the, in my word. Those who choose to take trust and to give up every bit of their own understanding and control and to lean in and throw themselves the words of Jesus Christ as their only lifeline. And this is available for all. To abide is to obey, very simply. But I think it goes deeper than just obeying. It is an absolute throwing ourselves in complete surrender, giving up, forfeiting everything that we've assumed to be our way at the foot of the cross, at the feet of Jesus and saying it's you and your word and what you say is everything that I need and only what I need in life. I'm going to abide in you, Lord Jesus. And he says to them very clearly, this is the one, this is the one who are my disciples indeed. And it makes sense. These are the ones that follow me. These are the ones that trust me. These are the ones that will give up everything for me. You are my disciples indeed. Brothers and sisters, this is, if you like, the heartbeat of the church. Sometimes people ask me, you know, what's your church preach? What's your church, what's your church all about? And I always struggle to answer that question. I always find, like, oh, which angle do I take? Which angle do I take? Which do I take? This angle, do I take this angle? But at the end of the day, whatever angle I take, I always find myself coming back to this. Be you holy, for I am holy, says the Lord. This is the heartbeat of the church because it's the heartbeat of Scripture. It's not because we like it. It's not because we thought it's a good idea. We all came together and thought, what's our mission statement? This is the heartbeat of the Scripture. 
This is the heartbeat of Christ. This is the heartbeat of the Father. And so it's the heartbeat of the church. And we hope and pray that the next generation of young people and young adults and youth capture this through the life of the adults in the church and the teaching that they hear, that our young adults and youth may be raised up and continue to preach the same message that continues to set people free, the liberating gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ who dared people to believe and who dared people to come and follow him. I remember reading once an illustration, someone saying um, there's a difference. Oh, there was a Christian speaking to a non-Christian and, and, and the non-Christian saying to the non-Christian, you know what, there's only one letter in the alphabet that makes me and you different. He goes, that's the letter. I'm going to get this right now. It's the letter L. <laughs> he said, because the difference between me and you is I love the word, you love the world. Because this is the heartbeat of the Christian. The heartbeat of the Christian is to abide in the words of Christ. And sometimes that comes at a massive cost. But the Lord Jesus Christ is calling us to this and through this promising us freedom. Verse 32, and you shall know the truth is saying to them, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How beautiful is that? Now, is this one thing that Jesus taught? Is this everything that Jesus taught when it comes to the truth? I'm a bit nervous to say it's one thing, and I'm more inclined to think it's everything about him, the living truth and what he taught. But I know this, that when I come to know the living truth himself, and I come to know the words that he spoke as if they are my only life, then I come to know the truth that sets me free. Glorious promise. Not a doubt in the Lord in the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ and ought not to be a doubt in the mind of any Christian. But if you are trapped by your condition and you are and you will dare to believe and throw yourself at him and his word, relinquishing all control of what you think you need to do and falling straight at what he's asking from you to do, he says you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. Because, brothers and sisters, there are conditions that lurk in our hearts that will continue to choke and bind and squeeze the life out of you. Take pride, for example, or hate, for example. How can you exist with that? How can you exist with pride in your heart towards your brother or your sister or to to life in general? How do you exist with hate in your heart towards a brother or a sister? How can you do it and not feel the choke of life and the choke of sin that squeezes out what ought to be the life of Christ? And Jesus knows this. So today, today, if pride continues to bind you, then come and know the truth and the truth will make you free. If hate continues to bind you, 
to come, know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And Jesus wants us to learn from him. He wants us to understand this is not something that he says, go and find your way of doing it. But leads by example, tells us, instructs us, and gives us everything we need to be able to understand this, and yet our nature wrestles with it and tries to find all these alternative ways to be holy. And we'll discuss that a little bit more next time. Listen to what Jesus said when it comes to even pride. He says, take my yoke upon you. This is Matthew 11. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and I'm lowly in heart. That's another way of saying I'm, I'm humble. And you will find rest for your soul. So he, he understands. He says, come and learn from me. Look at what I'm doing. Take me as the example. Come and know this truth, and this truth will make you free. It will break the bondage of pride. Even hate. Look at this in John 13. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, because Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, which you might think, oh, that's a noble thing to do. Maybe it's a little bit awkward, but it's a noble thing to do. Brothers and sisters, it is way more than noble. There among him sat the ones who loved him, the ones who would, who would um, deny him, and the one who would betray him. And he was still moved to wash their feet. And rather than exposing the ones who would betray him and deny him, he washed their feet. And he says to them here, if I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Because he knew that if they came and learned from him and to know him and to know this truth, that the bondage of hate would break. that you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Brothers, sisters, Jesus isn't asking us to form an opinion about him. He's asking us to know him, to know him and all that he says and to throw our life at this, knowing he promises that when we know this truth, the truth will make us free. He goes into the same verse 33. And they answered him, we are, oh, this is interesting. Listen to this. And they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say we will be made free? It's interesting, isn't it? Because what they did straight away, they heard Jesus speaking about freedom and they went to their very natural uh, inclination uh, and, and to look at them as a nation. Now, for sure, by design, by design, God uh, uh, set up the nation Israel to not be in bondage to any other nation, 100%. That was God's design. In fact, from the beginning, they were meant to have a theocracy, but they chose kings. So by design, these people are right. We've never been in bondage to anyone, though they were under Roman rule. They've never been in bondage to anyone. That's, but they are accurate in what they're saying. But what they're not realising is that they're turning their hearts to the human natural things and what Jesus is trying to address are things that are far deeper in their condition. They're looking at their circumstances and Jesus is looking at their condition. Do you understand? 
And so what he's doing here is he's, he's trying to um, uh, have them pause for a moment and have them rethink what they claim to be their rights, their political and nationalistic rights, and pause for a moment and say, okay, I get it, guys. I know nationally, politically, that's how you feel, but there's something deeper in your heart that's if there's a problem. And it's interesting because sometimes you share this with people who, who want to stand up for, for political and nationalistic rights and, and say, look, you know, guys, I, I get this, but sometimes we've got to let these things go and, and sometimes you get more attacked um, and, sorry, and, 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 and people will disagree with you, but, but when you start talking about the sin in them, sometimes you get more attacked for that. And what they're trying to hold on to here is something that, if you like, um, that is, is precious to them. But all along they're suffering with a condition they can't be free from and the sin within So Jesus addresses this, verse 34. He answered them and said, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. It's almost like he's saying to them, we're going to get something right here. If you, you can go and talk about all the human rights you have and all the nationalistic rights you have and all the political rights you have, but let me get something right here. If you decide to go and sin, you are a slave to sin. What, what are all these things going to do for you ultimately? What are they going to do for you? Yes, there is a place for them. There is a time for them. Yes, they are to be spoken of certain, certain situations. But at the end of the day, this is, this is your focus. What, what's going to happen to you? All the, all the, the proclaiming of, of your own rights and then at the same time your soul is enslaved by your sin that ultimately capable of taking you straight to hell. And he wants to address this with them. He says, you've got to get this right. If you go and sin, then you're a slave to sin. And this is what he came to fix. We can talk about all the human freedoms of life. And there's a good, and good place and a good time for that. But what we must do is come and look in the eyes of Jesus, the one who brought his word of truth, the one who died on the cross to set us free, the free from the condition of our humanness, that we may know him and go and proclaim this freedom to others, this liberating truth to others. But though sadly for some their circumstances may not change, they may still be free within. Do you hunger for this this morning? Is this, is this, your, is this your hunger? Is this your experience? Is this your truth? And in verse 35, it tells us a bit more. It says, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever because what he came to do was to make sons and daughters 
He came to make sons and daughters who follow in his footsteps. He came to make people who represent him, not someone who is considered a slave in the house, but someone who is his son, who is his daughter, someone who who is the very image of him, not someone who can form an opinion of him or kind of sees him from a distance or is always in the act of serving him, but someone who knows him. And reflect him. And I'll just finish with verse 36. So he says, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. What a beautiful experience the Lord Jesus Christ has come to give us. And by God's grace, may He continue to work in us that we may know this more and more. The progress of our faith and the joy of our faith may abound. That we may come to know more and more, as Jesus said here, that when the Son makes you free, you are free indeed, truly, for real, because it's the hand of Jesus that does it. Think about your own experiences, brothers and sisters. Think about your struggles and your freedoms. Think about the times in your life where you know the hand of God has set you free. Think in how and you rejoice in your heart that the Son has done this to you. Surely you don't sit here and say to yourself, I haven't experienced this in anything of my life. And as you sit here and you can and you listen and you and, and you and you understand by faith that that as a son and as a daughter, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ has made you free. Think about the times when you stop trying to take control over situations in your own life and you laid it at the foot of Jesus, the feet of Jesus, and here you came with a, with a, with, with a faith that said, Lord Jesus, do it, and, and you experience the freedom of Christ. And there are so many scriptures and so many passages that uh, remind us of the, the, the beauty of this. Remind us of the, the glory of the hand of Jesus who compassionately saw the needs of people uh, in their bondage, in their being stuck, and being able to call them and draw them to a place of liberty. Zacchaeus is one example, a little man who was just stuck, stuck, robbing people, tax collecting, and just stuck. Till he saw Jesus. And Jesus invited himself to his house. And from that, to come, if you like, a picture of knowing him and his truth. What did Zacchaeus, uh, what happens in the scriptures? Zacchaeus says to the Lord, Lord, look. Uh, sorry, it says, look, look, Lord, I give half my goods to the poor. Wow, look at that. From a, from a, um, a thief. Truly, when the sun makes you free, you are free indeed. I give my half my goods to the poor. <laughs> what did he say? I give some of it. I give half of them to the poor. Because when the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. What would have brought him more joy? Knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and all his ways or his money? Of course, knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, he said to Jesus, I restore fourfold, four times the amount. Because when the son sets you free, you are free indeed. He's able to come to this place of release, go, I give it. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he is also a son of Abraham. Remember they said we're descendants of Abraham? (laughs) We're descendants of Abraham. Yeah, by name. Many people call themselves Christians by name. But Jesus said he is a son of Abraham because he knows the son who sets him free. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Brothers and sisters, this is the truth we have in our hands. This is the truth we have before us. And though we wrestle and struggle and find it hard to understand and there are times it is painful and it seems unreachable, we come in simple faith and say, Lord Jesus, work it in me. Because when the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Come believing. Come trusting. Come with all your life and bring it before him, knowing this is his truth, this is his promise. And as I pray this morning, I pray that you may be able to bring all this, all your life before him, not believing what you're hearing today uh, in terms of my words, but believing and trusting the very words of Jesus and his promise to you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord God, that you've called us to a place not to find our confidence in ourselves or in other people, but to find our confidence in you. Lord, I find no comfort in in the things I've done in the past, but the confidence, Lord, only in what you're able to do in me. The power of your spirit, the chains that you break. And, Lord, I thank you for this, that when the sun sets us free, you are free indeed. I pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters, that there is a deeper understanding, a joyful understanding of this very truth, that we may all come to the unity of the faith, the stature of the fullness of Christ in everything we do. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.